Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 59 of the Banter Roundtable podcast. I am experimenting with a new mic setup. Uh, uh, Bob has uh, admonished me for having... Uh, <laughs> it's all my fault. Yeah, no, no, no. Bob Bob has laid into me before the podcast and said, you might, you've got to sort your mic out. And so I'm trying something new. Um, hopefully the audio quality is better. Please leave a comment. Let us know how it's coming out on the on your end. I'd uh, love to know. I'm going to get this fixed, guys, I promise you. I buy expensive mics. I buy cheap mics. So they all seem to do the same thing for some reason. I'm cursed. Uh, Everyone but, tuned in for your sultry British voice. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it makes up for, you know, crap audio quality, though. I well, really- the answer is yes, it does make up. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you could take a tin can and tie it to a string and then plug the string into your laptop somehow and everybody would be like, Wow, swoon, British accent. Oh, he sounds so sexy and smart. Yeah, Say gonna, something in British. I'm going to replay <laughs> this clip for my to, to my wife. I'm doing this. Bit of, I'm going to I'm going to replay this to to my wife because she gets so sick of it. She's like she's so sick of everyone saying, you know, oh your your accent, you know your husband's accent. And she's like, listen, I listen to that shit every day. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I think Betsy would be lying if she said that that wasn't her gateway into the world of Ben Cohen. I, like initially, I, I've you know she claims not, <laughs> but I I I think you know I think otherwise. I've been in this country a long time. I know yeah, how it works. Yeah. I know how it works. But listen, um, all right, guys, we've got a good, we've got a furious, fast-paced show for you today. But uh, we're going to roll through as many things as we can. Um, so, uh, first of all, so and we're going to be talking about the the whole Matt Taibbi Twitter files thing again because uh, I worked on that incredibly hard this week, and I feel like I just need to talk about it with you guys because I went so far down the rabbit hole and, and into Matt Taibbi's journalism that uh, yeah, I need I need outside counsel on this. Um, because the guy's journalism is going from bad to worse, and I think he's doing immense damage to the, uh, you know, basically the political discourse in this country. And it's now fractured beyond repair. And Toby is, you know, I think he's he's not necessarily the sort of main culprit, but he's he's a perfect example of the fracturing media system, um, how to make money out of, you know, uh, basically bullshit. Um, or being anti-establishment or anti, you know, uh, fueling this whole both sides narrative, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to get into that. Talk about the Ty Nichols story, uh, police brutality. Bobby wrote an excellent piece about cops and st- on steroids this week. Um, we're not suggesting that the cops who murdered Ty Nichols were on steroids, but I feel it's an interesting angle um, to discuss as well. We have a uh, Ilhan Omar was kicked off the House Foreign Affairs Committee by the GOP because of alleged anti-Semitism. We're going to be talking about that, the hypocrisy there. We have our both sides segment. We have an absolutely insane, my one is is truly crazy. And uh, it, uh, again, involves uh, a certain orange person. 
We also are in the emergency meeting. Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis is heating up. So this is getting kind of kind of funny. So we're going to be going into that, discussing the latest uh, episode of the DeSantis-Trump Cold War right now, where that's going, what a matchup between them looks like. So that will be in the emergency meeting. And also we have some really good news, but we're going to wait till the end of the podcast to talk about it. Justin, you've been itching to talk about this good news. Oh, yes. So wait till the end of the podcast. We'll talk about that after the both sides segment. Um, Okay, I'm going to get going with uh, the Matt Taibbi story. So have you guys been following the Twitter files release now, or have you tuned out? Honestly, I'm totally tuned out at this point. Every time yeah, I see Twitter too. files, it's like, ah. Yeah, it's like the rest it. of the world. No one yeah. else cares. This is yeah. entirely a playpen for, uh, you know, the Taibbi crowd, the Elon Musk worshipers. They're still really into it. Mm. And it's the same reason why, uh, some Trump things tend to resonate with red hat. Like he takes ordinary, normal things and frames them as being outrageous and, or very super important, super, very, very tremendous as he likes to say, but it's usually just normal, either made up things or just something normal. That's exaggerated into being something uh, (laughs) out of this world and amazing. And Oh my God, stop the presses, but it's not. Yes. I mean, look, I, I completely agree. And I think that if you watch Tybee's behavior this, this week, he's been going after all these media institutions and demanding Mother Jones get back to him and demanding all these media institutions apologize for um, basically fabricating the Russia collusion story. And no one's responding to him. Like, no one cares. Nobody, nobody uh, respond. He wrote, did this whole Twitter files release thing. And, um, on Hamilton 68, which is this dashboard that was used to track Russian influ- influence on Twitter, I think in 2017, it was um, uh, founded by a group of like intelligence officials and ex-intelligence officials and tech workers and whatnot. Anyway, it was quite influential in in some circles in, in 2017, 2018, in tracking all this um, disinformation that was spreading on Twitter, specifically on Twitter. So Tyree wrote this big piece about, about he dropped the files um, from Twitter that Elon Musk handed to him that showed Twitter didn't, uh, Twitter executives didn't buy into Hamilton 68's methodology and how they were tracking Russian um, disinformation on Twitter. Uh, so therefore, the whole Russia collusion story was a hoax. That's his contention. I mean, could it just be that they saw that information and went, "Yeah, yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to get anywhere near that because that makes us look bad." I mean, it seems to me as if it's a cover your ass kind of thing, not a well. There is no Russia collusion. There is no Russia disinformation campaign. You know, the one that uh, Senate Republicans were able to weed out. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I find the whole thing baffling that he. Mm-hmm. So there were a number of things that I wrote about this week. And I, I think it's important to, to discuss this because of, A, this hot, this grift or this nonsense that's being pushed by the right and the alt-left about the Russia collusion story being fake, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of the... the this is still a huge story. I don't... I, there's a disinformation campaign going on right now to distract people from this 
from this yeah. from this very very serious story um, that Trump and his campaign were colluding with the Russians, that the Russian government, the Kremlin, uh, influenced um, the 2016 election, influenced the 2020 election. We have we really don't know how far up the food chain it goes in terms of the Russia collusion. We now, what was it like? The last, the story last week was about the FBI agent who was taking money from the guy he was supposed to be investigating, the Russian oligarch. Yeah. Right. So, you know, pretty flipping serious. Yeah. The funny thing about that is that Donald Trump has taken advantage of that too, to say that Charles McGonigal, who's this, FBI special agent uh, in that counterintelligence office in New York, that that guy is working against Trump. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. There, it, there goes his loyalty, right? There yeah. Black his is loyalty. White, up is down. It's everything right. is opposite. This is right, exactly right. Everything is opposite. Everything is not what it seems. And Tybee, Tybee is feeding this bullshit right he's feeding this narrative and it's being lapped up by the MAGA universe it's being he's on Tucker Carlson now he's like can you imagine the Tybee of 10 years ago going on Tucker Carlson's show or someone like Tucker Carlson yeah. on you know who else was on there is uh, Jimmy Dore was on there this week yeah, of course he was. Of course, of he, course was. he was. Of course he was. Right, Jimmy Dore, the full blown red hat without actually wearing the red hat yet. Yeah, yeah. The horseshoe theory once again. Yeah, the horseshoe theory of politics. But this, so look, this week's this this well, last week, right? His um, it took me about it took me a few days to try and uh, unpick this story, but he essentially smeared this dashboard, right? Um, Hamilton sixty eight. So. Uh, for doing, I'm going to just read you an, ec- a, an excerpt from my piece, right? So this is um, Tybee's claims about Hamilton 68 are deeply misleading. So, quote, in an excellent breakdown on her newsletter, disinformation, weaponized influence, and social media manipulation expert Caroline Orbueno shows Tybee grotesquely distorts what Hamilton 68 claimed to do. Here's Bueno on what the dashboard actually did. And this is uh, Bueno's quote. She writes... Uh, Rather than focusing on individual account activity or bot detection, the tool utilized a network approach to analyze aggregate activity of a network network of accounts that regularly engage with content, quote, generated by attributable Russian media and influence operations. The purpose wasn't to see what individual accounts were tweeting, but rather to take the temperature of networks in which known pro-Russian propaganda and disinformation circulated on a regular basis. In other words, if you're frequently engaged with content produced by RT, Sputnik, TASS, or any other or any number of Russian proxy sites like Southfront, your account could have been flagged as exhibiting behavioral indicators of Russian influence activity. Um, then Bueno argues that Twitter's analysis of this, that and that's what was released in the Twitter files, right? Elon Musk released that this week, or last week rather. Um, bueno says that the analysis failed to take any of this into account. She writes, the metrics by which Twitter executives evaluated the dashboard, the degree to which the accounts is monitored were Russian and or bots, are not aligned with the stated methods and purpose of Hamilton 68. The dashboard didn't claim that all or even most accounts were located in Russia, nor that they were bots. The purpose of the dashboard was to track Russian influence in cyberspace, specifically social media, which is a different activity than tracking Russian accounts. 
Tybee has smeared the dashboard. This is me writing, by the way. Tybee has smeared the dashboard as a, quote, neoliberal think tank that spawned hundreds of fraudulent headlines and TV news segments may go down as the single greatest case of media fabulism in American history. Uh huh. <laughs> as opposed to Hillary's emails, but whatever. Sorry. Yeah. Right. right, 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 right. So he called it a scam, a grift, a con, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Republican and, accusation is a confession. Right. And, and so Tybee didn't prove anything. He didn't prove anything about Hamilton 68. Or, the only thing, he, you know, the only thing that it shows is that some politicians kind of miss on, they didn't really understand what Hamilton 68 did. So they used words like bots. They said, oh, Russian bots and Russian accounts and that kind of thing. Right. So they misunderstood it. Um, and, you know, Tybee did that too. Tybee uh, is erroneously referred to accounts as bots and things like that as well. So he's 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 being completely hypocritical here. Uh, so anyway, I went into this in, in great detail, right, and and basically showed that what he said about Hamilton sixty eight was not what Hamilton sixty eight said it was was doing, right. So the whole premise was was utter nonsense. Um, and then he also like the whole idea that Twitter was this, you know, was the he he's trying to, what's the word? Give the impression to his readers that Twitter was the main social media platform that the Russians were targeting in 2016. And everybody knows that's not true, right? No, it was it Facebook. It was definitely Twitter. Facebook. Yeah, it face, Facebook. It was Facebook. Uh, I, I can't remember what the other major platforms like YouTube. They're all over YouTube. Um, I don't think TikTok was around back there, but Facebook was the major one, right? But also, so Twitter, Twitter, Twitter back in 2017, 2018, were busy denouncing Hamilton 68 and saying, yeah, their methodology is crap. But then I dug up an interview with, with Twitter's um, head of safety, right? Head of, uh, I forget what the guy's name is here. I've, I've, I've got it. I've got it here. Uh, but, here we go, Joel Roth, right? So Tybee wanted his readers to believe that because Twitter refuted Hamilton 68's analysis of Russian disinformation, they didn't believe Russian disinformation was a problem. This is nonsense. Tybee cites Joel Roth at length on Hamilton 68. He says nothing of the former trust and safety chief's grave concerns about Russian, Russia's increasingly sophisticated efforts to undermine US elections. So in 2020, Roth did an interview with NPR, and this is what he said, Right. He said, um, uh, one of the main things that we saw in 2016 was the use of inauthentic personas. So these would be accounts that were pretending to be Americans to try and influence certain parts of the conversation. We've seen some indication that that remains part of the Russian playbook. And so they're trying to set up accounts that appear to be Americans or other people participating in political conversations to try and seem as though they're actually a member of the community that they're trying to impact. And then he goes on, he says... Those were some of the tactics that we saw most clearly in 2016. But I'd note that some of the tactics have evolved a little bit since then. For instance, in 2018, we saw activity we believe to have been connected with the Russian Internet Research Agency, IRA, that was specifically targeting journalists in an attempt to convince them that they had, there had been large-scale activity on the platform that didn't actually happen. So what he's talking about is exactly what Hamilton 68 was trying to detect. So it took it, it took Twitter two years to figure out that actually Hamilton 68 was doing what they should have been doing. 
but they didn't. So obviously, Tybee didn't mention any of this stuff. Yeah, he just skipped over that part. He just skips over all this stuff, right? And this is a, you know, this is an Elon Musk handpicked journalist with 1.7 million Twitter followers reaching out to the, you know, feeding the MAGA nonsense, feeding the right wing disinformation merchants and, uh, you know, all over Tucker Carlson now saying, yeah, the Russia hope, the Russia collusion thing was an absolute scam and it was a hoax and it didn't matter. So now all of MAGA world, all of the right thinks that it was bullshit, right? And Tybee's just feeding into this stuff. And I just think that this is, is, is shocking. Like no one, there's no accountability for any of these people anymore. No. And, and I feel like he and Barry Weiss and these other Twitter files stooges are pumping more disinformation out, out there and di- distracting people from, you know, uh, essentially... One of, this is the biggest story. What did you, Bob? You, you and Ches were saying were always saying that this is probably one of the biggest stories like ever. Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that we've read so much about it has kind of desensitized people to the seriousness of it all. Which mm. I, I think part of what Ches and I were talking about was the linkage between and the obvious linkage between Donald Trump and Russia, mm. and uh, whether that was used specifically to help Trump win or if it was all the disinformation campaign or what have you, doesn't matter. There's still that linkage between Trump and Russia. We have credible reporting indicating that Russia has been grooming Donald Trump since the 1980s, that Donald Trump is very obviously money laundering for Russian oligarchs, that Donald Trump had extensive business that he was at least attempting to do with Russia. I mean, these are all obvious things. The fact that he's been able to so successfully indoctrinate his fanboys into just denying all of it just shows the power of his marketing ability, which is the only thing Donald Trump is able to do. And you know what? He's not that good at it. Um, But the fact of the matter is that regardless of what the Red Hats think, regardless of what they're saying on Fox News Channel or what Matt Taibbi is saying or what Elon Musk thinks, this is something that's happening. And um, I think we need to keep hammering it exactly the way we're doing right now. And it's just a matter of time. I think the the longer the timeline goes on, the more we're going to see people like Charles McGonigal stepping forward and seriously illustrating that connection and showing the very dangerous linkage between Vladimir Putin and the rapid disintegration of American political discourse. And yeah. I think it's, I think it goes beyond just politics. Uh, I did a whole podcast this week uh, where we didn't specifically talk about politics, but we talked about comic book movies and star Wars and how online fandom is possibly being infiltrated by Russian trolls, overseas bots and so on who stir up the discord and, uh, you know, there's other elements to toxic, it, but I, I think that that is going on as well. I think it's not just limited to politics. So, and, and it's happening. It's working. It's obviously changing the way we view our politics, changing the way we view our institutions and changing, most importantly, changing the way we view our fellow Americans. And there is one group of people in this country who have by and large not changed all that much. I'm talking about the left. You know, all three of us, I'm sure, possess the same values that we possessed 15 years ago. 
But at the same time, you've got this group of people who have very obviously changed significantly, become more radicalized and extremist in their yeah. politics and the kinds of people they are willing to follow along with, Donald Trump being the prime example. So that, I think, illustrates the impact of Russia and the impact of this ongoing disinformation campaign online, whether it's Russia specifically or people doing the bidding of Russia, some sort of Russian money being infiltrated or, or pumped into some of these dark money groups and some of these uh, Red Hat Entertainment Complex platforms, Daily Wire. I'd love to see their books. I'd love to see where some of these people are getting their money. So, yeah, this is extraordinarily serious. And we're a little bit closer to pushing back against it, but we haven't done nearly enough. Yeah, I, I think it's really difficult to push back on it effectively without being called an alarmist, right? And yeah. and I think there is some of that. I do see that on, on the left where everyone's like, you know, you're anybody who says anything uh, against Trump uh, um, um, or pro-Trump is a, is a Russian troll, right? Or a Russian spy or whatever it is. And so I think we have to be very careful about who we accuse of of being, you know, influenced by the Russians. Yeah. But, and I almost think that they've been so successful at this now that it's its own beast, right? They've kind of created a, a storm and they, you know, um, it's almost like their work is done, right? I'm sure they're still, influ they're still trying to influence America. But, you know, Trump wasn't their, their agent, agent of chaos and he's injected chaos into the system now and it's now it's kind of metastasized and it's out of control. It's its own beast, um, and I feel like America was always kind of ripe for that kind of interference. Um, that it could be hacked, and a fascist movement could be sort of um, at least uh, the, the fans could be flamed very, very quickly given the right ingredients, and they've done that. I'm not, and you can't blame the Russians for everything, right? I mean, a lot of this stuff was nascent anyway a lot of this stuff was within american society anyway no the you can't make yeah. someone a fascist they have to be already willing yes exactly exactly yeah um, well, the, what russia is doing is exploiting that and in fact the broader republican party does that as well uh, that's their <laughs> skeleton key into the brains of so many americans you, you tweak that racism you tweak that tendency toward fascism authoritarianism just by frightening people just enough. And then mm. suddenly, oh, or a lot, <laughs> as the case may be. And that's all it takes for people to go, yes, uh, that guy, that guy understands me. I'm going to follow him. And who needs democracy? Right. Right, 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 right. And I mean, look, I, I feel like it's, it hasn't calmed down yet, right? Like, you know, I feel like, like Newsmax and one, was it OAN? What's that spam site called? the OAN network, whatever it yeah. is. Oh, yeah. I, it's, I don't know. Yeah, OAN doesn't exist anymore. There's something else that's replaced it, Real News America or something like that. Wait, yeah. they're like gone, gone? I know they got bumped off the air, but I thought they were like still on the internet or something. Oh, they, they might just, still be. They just, all they do is they, you know, they promote essentially Russian disinformation talking points, right, which are now, it's hard to know where they come from now. Are they parroting Russian disinformation or are they just now, you know, their their views dovetail neatly with Russia's 
viewpoints. I don't know. I really don't know the whole thing. I guess that's what Hamilton 68, the dashboard, was trying to figure out as well, right? Like it was, it's in very, comp- when you look at disinformation, um, weaponized disinformation and weaponized information, it's incredibly difficult to, like they're very sophisticated techniques these days. Uh, and the Russians are very good at that. They specialize in it, right? So it's hard to know, like they're so good at it that you, there's a lot of confusion about where, where, you know, how much influence they have. And I guess that's part of the point. And, you know, now the right-wing media is, is essentially, they're parroting Russian talking points, but we now know, don't know where they come from. So it's, it's, we're in a bit of a difficult situation. Um, did you see Boris Johnson was in, in the US recently and he was asking, uh, he was basically calling Republicans out saying like, I don't know why you're all so terrified of this guy, Tucker Carlson and his views on Vladimir Putin. Like, Putin is a very bad guy. Like, I don't understand why why you were afraid of what of what Tucker Carlson has to say about you. Uh, nope, you know. Totally missed that. Yeah, great. It was it was pretty funny. But look, anyway, we, that we can we can talk about this for hours because I know we will be talking about this because yeah. it's an ongoing theme. Um, but look, I wanted to touch on this. This was the uh, terrible, terrible um, killing of the. Uh, Young black motorist, twenty-nine-year-old Ty Nichols, in in Memphis, and uh, look, we, we we talked about this pre-show about how we were going to cover this, and um, you know, I haven't seen the video. I don't want to watch the video. I have no interest in seeing a human being being beaten to death. It'll be very incredibly upsetting, and there's a whole sort of you know, t- t- Twitter and America is doing its thing on dragging every single uh, whatever pet topic, whatever pet narrative you have uh, to put on this, people are putting mm-hmm. it on this story. And I don't know, I don't think I have much to offer in terms of at least the racial element of this. I, there's nothing really I can add of value to that. But I will say that it seems that the police brutality ex- side of it is one thing that it is so is is obvious right it's the most blatantly obvious there's no way that the police should be beating people to death no no they really shouldn't right it, like it's just it's just bonkers insane it, it's right it's it's crazy so i feel like that's at least for me that's how i'm looking at this now it's like okay i don't the, the racial politics of this aside there was a young man who was beaten to death by the police on camera and this is like I feel like America has a very very serious cop problem, and it transcends whatever racial politics. And, and I'm sure that, that that is an issue as well. Obviously, there are you know we can talk about that as well. Uh, it, but I, I think that this transcends all of it, right? That you have a the police are complete are out of control in this country. Right there. I mean, a lot of it is just lack of accountability. It's like for the, for the most for most cops, they know that even if it's caught on camera, they know almost nothing's going to come of it. They'll, they'll get a slap on the wrist. They'll get sent home for a few days without pay, and then nothing will come of it. Most most uh, most of the time, no charges will be brought against them, and then they'll just go about their business. Worst comes to worst, they'll get fired, and then they'll just go to another city and get another job as a cop there. And mm. then they'll just go about their business like nothing happened. And yeah. when you know there's no accountability, then there's no consequences. So why not? 
It seems like on some level there's a calculation that's made when these uh, executions take place where they go, okay, well, I'm willing to risk this because uh, don't they know? I mean, they know there's cameras. They know there are body cams. They know there are dashboard cams. They know there are surveillance cameras. Mm. I mean, the Tyree Nichols murder, there were what? How many cameras on that thing? And they did it anyway. So what that tells me is we're willing to take this chance that we're going to lose our jobs and we're going to be disgraced and we could end up going to prison. And I think these guys are going to go to prison uh, because this is such an obvious execution. Yeah. And uh, but I wonder if that's like, okay, I'm going to roll the dice because I've got this. It, It comes down to. Not even, and I always go to training and police procedures and things like that, and the militarization of the police and how that, you know, the uh, addition of all this military style gear and equipment and so on, procedures along those lines contribute to that feeling of invincibility or contribute to the feeling of fear, like, well, we're geared up for, you know, fighting overseas here. I mean, the threat is very real. Why else would we be dressed up like this? Why else would we be using this equipment? So that contributes to the abuse of police force. And, and every, obviously, every use of excessive force is an abuse. But um, I think that leads to it. So I, I, there are many things, I think, that um, are, are in the works, but I, I worry about our inability to focus on problems and to take enough action to resolve those problems these days. I Mm. feel like the outrage ends up becoming the solution. We yell about it and we feel like, well, we've done our part. I I posted a few things on Twitter about it. So that's, uh, you know, (laughs) that's the extent of my participation, even though it's not. There needs to be more action along these lines. And I think one of the ways this could be resolved is uh, insurance companies just getting sick and tired of insuring these police departments against these kinds of attacks. So that what ends up happening is uh, (laughs) that leaves them vulnerable to lawsuits and so on. And uh, it's their money, not the city's money. When they have to start paying it out of their pensions instead of the city paying for it, then they'll actually start doing something. Exactly right. But so no, I mean, there are things that can be done. It just needs much like gun violence and so many other issues. Certainly the climate crisis, certainly COVID. Mm. We just have to give a shit. <laughs> and again, being outraged on social media is the least you can do without doing nothing. Participating in online polls or you got to take action because where this begins and ends is politics. The Republican Party has been demagoguing crime for decades and decades and decades and decades, Mm. because what that is, is ultimately a dog whistle. That's like, okay, whenever the Republicans are talking about crime, what they're talking about is black crime. What they're talking about is Chicago, even though Chicago is, I think, ranked in the 20s or 30s in terms of murders per capita. Mm. or murders per 100,000, depending on what statistics you're looking at. So 
That's but that's not it, it. They don't care about the stats. It's all about the oh, it's black people, so we need to crack down on those black people committing those crimes, and so therefore, and by the way, we need to pull in more white suburban women. And so in that regard, we're going to keep screaming about crime and scaring people to vote for Republicans. And then Republicans, what they do is they encourage this kind of policing. They excuse it at the very least. They right, because they know who it impacts the most. Yeah, yeah. So do you think a, a Republican city council, a Republican state government is going to try to mitigate some of this crap? No. All they care about, all the Republicans care about is demagoguing it. And that's the extent of what they do. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I think the left has to be careful about this too, right? And again, I'm not both sides in this, uh, but I think the left has to be careful about the politics of this, right? In that um, we need to stick, to, like me- messaging is important on this, okay? So like, I think that like defund the police, I get it, not helpful when it comes to elections, right? Like, and also, as a policy, I don't really see how defunding the police is going to help, um, given the fact that the police, like, they're very poorly trained. I was, I think Tom Hartman uh, wrote a, a great piece this past week about, in Germany, I think, you know, cops are trained for, like, three years, right? They go through very, very, it's very difficult training, very arduous training on how you deal with potential, you know, conflicts and crises and how you de-escalate situations. And American cops are just not trained to do this. They're not trained to de-escalate anything. Um, you know, they're trigger happy, you know, dressed in, you know, potentially on steroids, Bob, as you wrote about in your article this this week. Yeah. The steroid use amongst cops. I know a lot of cops. I've trained a lot of cops. I've done martial arts. I've taught martial arts for many, many years. I've had many policemen in my, in my, um, uh, in my class. I've trained with policemen. Um, I would say almost all of them good good people, uh, but I certainly re- remembered some of them. One in particular was a steroid freak for sure. Uh, was it just unbelievably strong? Um, yeah, and, and, yeah. And the, the crazy thing about that is, uh, you know, there are obviously people who are responsibly uh, using hormone replacement therapy, uh, testosterone and so on. And they, they may be under the care of a doctor, you know, um, endocrinologist, what have you. And that's fine, I guess, but hmm. especially now. And I think those of us who have spent any time on YouTube know that the whole, uh, steroid, uh, usage situation in this country, as well as testosterone replacement is basically being self-prescribed, self-medicated, so to speak. And that is potentially, that's more than potentially, that's seriously problematic. When you got people self-diagnosing and self-administering testosterone and other performance-enhancing drugs, that's what creates the roid rage and out-of-control estrogen levels that lead to the irascibility and rage. And the other thing I think about too, is that uh, much like people who collect firearms, eventually you're going to want to use one of those firearms. You want to see what, Oh, let's see what the stopping power is or whatever the fuck they say. Uh, Mm. But the same with cops and getting jacked like that and going through the sacrifice of, 
acquiring performance enhancing drugs through illicit means, uh, whether they're steroid distributors, uh, steroid dealers, which I wrote about in, in my piece in the banter. And uh, regardless, what ends up happening is they uh, they feel the need as though they feel like they can abuse people like this. They feel like they can overpower suspects and they may not even realize it. I mean, they may be at the point where they're just freaking out, acting on instinct, and they're being driven by hormones, which are extraordinarily powerful and can alter your state of mind. And I'm not, again, I'm not making any accusations about the Memphis cops. I just think by and large, there's an epidemic of cops using these performance enhancing drugs uh, and in ways that cause uh, overreactions and uh, murderous rage and things like that. And it's something that I think deserves a little more analysis, certainly more policing as far as drug testing goes. Um, But I wonder if there's like a blind eye being turned to all of it. Like, okay, well, if it's making them fitter and more capable of subduing a subject, fine. We'll just let them do it. Right. And it's 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 common across the board. It's sports. Obviously, there's. all kinds of controversies arising in sports where Mm. do we test? How do we stay one step ahead of uh, the people who are abusing these uh, chemicals and so on? And that's the real challenge. How do you, how do you police it? So um, lots to be talked about along those lines. Right. right. And I think it's, 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 you know, it, it, a lot of this does come down to the sort of the oversight we have on the police and, and how they're trained and how they're, you know, managed by, and it, it seems to be a completely incoherent system in the U S and, and, and an anomaly in, at least in Western societies. I'm not saying like, you know, for example, in the UK that police brutality doesn't happen, but it, you don't get this. Yeah. Not, it's not like this. I, when uh, I wrote that initial piece, which was back, I, I want to say 20, 16 what was the original date on that daily banter piece ben i forget uh, i think it was 2016 and then we updated it in 2018 and then this current update uh when i wrote that and initially did that research this is before as i was saying before before the prevalence of like youtube doctors telling you how to do it and so i think now more than ever it's become uh more prevalent uh steroid abuse just because there's more information available to people who are predisposed to using it. So again, it can be okay, you know, with the right person and the right dosages and the right supervision, but more often than not, it could turn into a disaster. And I'm just, I'm wondering what drives some of these cops to have a suspect who was just reckless driving. I mean, ultimately you've got his driver's license, you know, where he lives. Mm. This is a matter of I, I, I have to do I'm driven by a motor to I have to destroy someone. I, you know, I, there's no controlling what I and, and it's the entire group of cops and whether it's Tyree Nichols or, oh, my God, last week there was this guy, Anthony Lowe, who was in a wheelchair. He happened to be brandishing a, like a butcher knife, but <laughs> he fell out of the wheelchair and was running away on his leg stumps because he was a double amputee. And mm. the cops shot him and killed him. Ten times. I mean, shot yes, him. there was no way he was ever going to get away. 
and they murdered him on the sidewalk right there. Mm. Something in that screams out, I can no longer control my impulses. Right. And what drives someone to ignore or what drives someone to ignore their better demons and better angels, I should say, and act out on those impulses? Well, something chemical, maybe. I mean, if you've had a bad day at work, I don't know that you're going to murder a guy. But if you're brain is telling you i have to murder someone (laughs) i can't control my anger right now i'm gonna snap that's a difficult impulse to push back against when it's chemically induced so this is a gigantic question mark that hasn't even started it hasn't even begun to be discussed in this country yeah i mean i i hope your your piece gets some a bit more attention you know i mean it's been seen quite quite a lot uh but I, I do hope that people start asking these questions. I mean, I know a lot about steroid use because of, you know, spending so much time in martial arts. I, you know, yeah. I know people who are on them and the changes that happen almost overnight uh, when they start using, mm-hmm. it's, it's profound. Um, and if you see a very muscular cop uh, over the age of, say, 35, um, yeah. there's a chance that he's using. Oh, yeah, because- you can always tell. They're... Right large ripped i mean when i say ripped i mean well-defined musculature with the veins and all the rest of it sort of the bodybuilder right before a competition look Mm. that you can only maintain that on a regular basis with performance enhancing drugs you can't do that naturally right 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 and and over over a certain age it's 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 almost impossible yeah you just don't you don't produce enough testosterone for that um, well, look, I, I encourage everyone to read your piece on the, on the banter this week. So it's up there for anyone who hasn't read it. Please, please look at it. I think it's a really interesting angle. I don't have a huge amount else to offer on, on this story as well. I've kind of stayed away from it, but I thought we should talk about it, um, obviously, because it's such a prominent story. But um, look, so let, let's move on to the next topic, which is Ilhan Omar kicked off the House Foreign Affairs Committee. So... <laughs> We'll touch on this briefly, but there was Heather Cox Richardson and her newsletter, uh, Letters from an American. I thought she really encapsulated this ludicrous hypocrisy from the Republicans very well in in, in an essay she wrote. So I'm just going to read you a a quick excerpt. So she writes, Today, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives voted along party lines to remove Representative Ilhan Omar from her seat on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. The Republican voting to remove her justify their action by pointing to language she used that they say was anti-Semitic. She's apologised for that language. Earlier House Speaker Kevin McCarthy used his own discretion to remove Democratic California representatives Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from the House Select Committee on Intelligence. While these removals are often portrayed simply as requests for revenge after Democrats removed Representatives Paul Gossar and Marjorie Taylor Greene from committees when they were in charge, there is a crucial difference between the cases. The Democrats removed Gossar and Greene, both members of the far-right group, after they threatened violence against their Democratic colleagues. Republicans removed Sheaf and Swalwell over make-believe dangers and have now removed Omar allegedly over policy differences. At the same time, McCarthy reinstated Gossar and Greene to prime committee assignments. The Republicans have accepted violence among Congress members. Um, so I thought that that was a 
a great breakdown of of uh, w- what transpired, and I think it's a preview of what we've got to look forward to over the next couple of years with this Republican Congress. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm not a huge fan of Ilhan Omar. I think that her, you know, inference that about Jews and money that was one of her comments. Um, she apologized for it immediately. I accept the apology. So, but I think that the Republican, um, the kicking, kicking her off the committee was just, it was a very carefully orchestrated hit job, right? It designed to do a few things. A, you know, you're targeting a woman minority, which they love doing anyway. Uh, but B, they were doing this to, to elicit a reaction from the left. They want to get a, a quote unquote woke woman. Um, they, they're making a sport of this, mm-hmm. of, of going after woke or the woke left on symbols of the woke left. And Ehan Omar is a symbol of the woke left. Uh, the Republicans ha- uh, hate so much or they feel is playing with their audience so much. So I feel that they did this uh, specifically for that. There's no sort of, there, there are no practical reasons why you would do something like that. Um, right. One of their justifications was also, you know, the remarks, you know, supposedly that she's anti-Semitic and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but these are people who spew anti-Semitic hate on an hourly basis. Like minute by minute, they spew out just really nasty stuff about Jewish people. So it's like, yeah, including on, the existence really? of Jewish space lasers, by the way. Exactly. It's like, who the fuck are you kidding? Yeah. Right, 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 right. So, you know, I th- Again, this is a this is we're just now it's going to be absolute warfare in in the uh, in, in the house at the moment, right? And and um, Heather Richardson points this out in her essay. She says today's vote is a window into a larger story. It appears the Republican Party has split, and the far right wing is making a play to become what amounts to a third party. Its members demanded the removal of Sheaf and Swalwell from the Intelligence Committee and Omar from Foreign Affairs. Sheaf and Swalwell apparently because they have gone after former President Donald Trump and Omar because she's a Muslim and a woman of colour. Um, so they had to protect, you know, basically Richardson says the in order to justify it on grounds other than racism, though, he had to pretend the issue was anti-Semitic words. It's a hard sell to convince people that the Republican Party cares much about anti-Semitism, but has embraced the open... The, openly Semitic Yi, also known as Kanye West, and when Trump recently warned Jews that they must get their act together before it's too late. Kevin McCarthy himself in November 2022 indulged in anti-Semitic tropes when he tweeted, we cannot allow Soros, Steyer and Bloomberg to buy this election, get out and vote Republican. All dog whistles, all anti-Semitic dog whistles. Yep. Now, so, yeah. here's, here's, here's a bigger problem. Um, if you step back into the way back machine to when the Tea Party um, was doing its thing, you'll remember that there were a bunch of Republicans who complained constantly that the Tea Party was out of control, that they were a bunch of idiots, that blah, 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 blah. But those people lost. They're gone. They're not in Congress anymore. They got chased out of the party. Mm. Right. And the Tea Party took over. And now the Republican Party shifted way to the right. Now, you have a bunch of Republicans who were complaining about this. They were not happy about 
Omar being removed. They, uh, what was it? Ken Buck said it was the stupidest vote in the world, and there were others who were complaining. Now, these are people who were extreme enough to survive in the Republican Party post-Tea Party, right? Mm. And now they're in they're, – they're dealing with the MAGA Republicans, and they're not happy with the MAGA Republicans. But the MAGA Republicans are winning, which means – you know, four, five, six years from now, these people, the ones who are complaining now, are not going to be there, most likely, because the party only goes in one direction. The party never moderates back to the center in mm. any way. The GOP only has one, like it only goes to the right. Yep. And there, it's going it's going towards the MAGA, which means it's just going to get worse, which means all the people who can't deal with the really more extreme radical elements are going to leave or be pushed out. So this is, this is really bad. I mean, it's like, yeah, Oh, they're fighting great, but we already know how that fight's going to turn out. The market's going to win. Right. Right. And I think that was, yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to, to talk about this because it shows you now like where they're headed and the, the lengths that they're willing to go to. And who they who now controls the party, uh, which is the, the Taliban twenty, the insane. They're, I mean, they're beyond MAGA, really, which is crazy. Um, but look, okay, let's move on. Uh, our both sides segment. Uh, my one, my pick today. I've got our. <laughs> I've got Donald Trump. Right. This is Donald Trump. I I I kid you not. This was an uh, an interview the Right Side Broadcasting Network hosted by Brian Glenn, who visited the former president at Mar-a-Lago, and uh, this was reported on Meteorite. Okay, so this is the conversation between the two. Uh, so Glenn opened by noting that under his administration, there was world peace. We didn't have all this chaos in the world. Now it seems like it's escalating. Even to Crimea is even in the question you've said before on social media and at speeches that you have a solution. And you said, you know, this can be negotiated. How do we do that? And this is what Trump said in return. He said, well, first of all, it should never have started, Trump, he said. Um, it would have never started had I been president. There was no chance of this war starting. And frankly, I don't think Putin wanted to do it. I think he was sort of forced in by the statements being made by Biden. And it's something so sad to say, because no matter what happens now, it can never be like it could have been with nobody dead and no cities demolished. Wow. So, yes, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine was uh, Joe Biden's fault. Putin never really wanted to invade them and slaughter thousands and thousands of innocent um, men, women, and children. Uh -huh. It was all Biden and the Democrats, and Trump, had he been in power, would have stopped it. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. There we go. That's yeah. My I'm sure. Trump. I'm sure Michael Tracy and Jimmy Dore and Glenn Greenwald are just like, yeah, what Trump said, because <laughs> that's what they've been saying for the last year. Ah. Anyway, that's my both sides. Good God, Donald Trump, <laughs> Justin. Who do we got? Oh, I've got a special group of people. Very, very special. So um, this is from Vice. Uh, they, they broke the story. Uh, an Ohio couple has been unmasked as leaders of a neo-Nazi, quote-unquote, dissident homeschool telegram channel that distributes lesson plans to 2,400 members. Quote, 
It is up to us. This is for M- this is on MLK Day. Uh, it is up to us to ensure our children know him for the deceitful, dishonest, right inciting uh, Negro. He actually was the administrator of the network's Telegram channel. Wrote alongside uh, alongside a downloadable lesson plan for elementary school children. He is the face of a movement which ethnically cleansed whites out of urban areas and precipitated the anti-white regime that we are now fighting to free ourselves from. So. Yeah, 2,400 people. Uh, that's not including their kids, obviously. And it's not clear this is 2,400 different families. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming it's not just, you know, 2,400 couples. Uh, this is a lot of people. And they're all over the place. And I guarantee you, this is not the only group. This is not the only group doing this. And this is just straight-up neo-Nazis. Like, hardcore neo-Nazis. Not just like... You know, just a little white nationalism here and there, like literal Nazis. And the important thing to remember, this is the thing that people keep, like, not discussing when they talk about neo-Nazis. Nazi ideology, by definition, is genocidal. You cannot remove genocide from Nazism. That is its core, That is one of its core principles, is that if you're not one of us, you have to be not alive anymore. That's kind of their thing, because otherwise you're just a white nationalist, right? White nationalism does not necessarily mean genocide. You can be a white nationalist and not want to murder everybody. If you're specifically a Nazi, it's because you want to kill everybody else. That's the point of being a Nazi. That's the only reason that you would want to be a Nazi. So these people are training their children to grow up to be murderers on a mass level. And there was 2,400 members in this group teaching their children to grow up to be mass murderers. And not the only group out there. And there's nothing. There's nothing even remotely conceivable. Like, even the most radical left-wing people are not like, we have to murder everybody else that's not a, a, a leftist. It's just not a thing on the left. So, you know, that made me feel great about myself. Lovely, lovely. Always cheery. Thankfully, we've got some good news after this. But uh... oh yes, <laughs> uh, Bob, your your pick this week: the Florida High School Athletics Board. Oh, you guys, God. know about this? Uh, I think so. They want girls who yes. <laughs> wish to participate in high school sports to submit their period information, their menstruation Jesus information. Christ, what? Yeah, yeah. In late January 2023, this last month, the Florida High School Athletics Association Sports Medicine Advisory Committee reiterated a, a recommendation that, if implemented, would make it mandatory for student-athletes to submit their menstrual period information to their schools, leading to privacy fears, of course, uh, from parents and abortion rights activists. As of, uh, as of right now, it was only a recommendation, so there's no mandate yet. But they're working on it. This is the um, this is the balkanization of America, where you're going to have two different two different levels of freedom depending on where you live. If you're in a red state, then and, and especially in a red state as a reproduction age woman, you are going to be controlled by the patriarchy in your state. If you're a person of color in a red state, you're going to be controlled by the white patriarchy in your state. It's another example of this. This is 
uh, obviously a move toward uh, ostracizing or continuing to ostracize trans children. And um, I, it's just it's going to lead to more suicides, I'm sure, uh, and more intrusions into civil liberties and privacy. But they don't care. This is, uh, you know, I hate to use this overused cliche, but it's a move toward uh, a handmaid's tale. Yeah, I, and I, you know, I read a piece this week about Americans um, fleeing the country, like it's just reaching kind of like fever point now. Where, uh, and it's because of this, they just think that the country is 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 a lot of it's about reproductive rights and and this this like you know, Handmaid's Tale. I haven't seen it. Handmaiden's Tale is it? Handmaid's Tale. It's Handmaids. Yeah, the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, yeah Handmaid's Tale. My, my my wife tried to make me watch it. I watched half an hour. It's like, look, I don't need this. I cover this shit every day. <laughs> uh, this is like this is too close to home. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's a piece in the New Republic this week about that, about, yep. about people getting out of getting out of there because yeah, none of this stuff is guaranteed. Your rights are not guaranteed. They can be taken away. Yeah, and, and by the way, you bring this up with a Republican, and they'll say, oh, yeah, well, you guys want to take away our gas stoves. No, no, no. No one's talking about taking away your no fucking gas stoves. No one don't want stoves. your fucking gas stove. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think a lot of this is driven by f- absolute fiction, disinformation, and propaganda about what's happening on the left, whether it's mm. woke M&Ms or... <laughs> you know, saying, oh, yeah, that stand-up comic shouldn't be joking about rape. I guess that's... But there aren't any Democratic politicians looking to codify any of that stuff. Right. And right, that's right, the right. that's the big dividing line. But, of course, then it gets lumped in, and it's, oh, well, both sides. They're telling yeah. children that they have to submit their menstruation information to the athletics board. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah but the left and their... The, their woke gas crusade stoves. against gas stoves. Right. Ridiculous. Okay. Listen, Justin, quickly, good news. All right. Well, the good news, all right, I have an announcement. Bob and I are getting married. Yay, the- that's right. I've got it. <laughs> oh, my God, the ring is enormous. Fabulous, oh, yeah. Wait, De- Debbie's here. She's very upset about this now. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So, all right. So the jobs report was released today. And let's see, this is from the Washington Post. The labor market shattered expectations in January as the economy added, ready, drum roll, 517,000 jobs. And the unemployment rate dropped to 3.4%, a low not seen since May 1969. Um, To give you an idea of the separation between the forecasts from the press and the financial sector versus what actually is happening, because... The people I just mentioned, they want they want a recession. They've been oh predicting God, a so recession forever now. It. Here's the difference, and and this is important to underscore. The forecast for January was 129,000 jobs added, womp, and it womp. ended up being what did you say? 517,000. 517. <laughs> yeah. So reality far exceeded. The forecast. And that's actually good news for Joe Biden, the Democrats. But that it also underscores the gap between what's being forecasted and what's actually happening. So and the forecasters are basing all of their prognostications on 
a little bit of wishful thinking. Oh, yeah, wouldn't it be great to, for there to be a recession under Joe Biden? Oh, my God. A bunch and of jobs lost. Try, they've right? been trying to make this happen for like the last year and a half. They've been trying yeah. to make a recession happen. I yep. mean, I lit- we, we, I've literally written two different articles about this, that they've been trying to make a recession happen by saying, oh, boy, the economy's terrible. Oh, the economy's terrible. Oh, boy. And it's just like, no, it's not actually. The unemployment just- is at its lowest rate since 1969. Since yeah, 1969, put- before I was born. Yep. Right. Uh, let me tell Fox News are all over this, right? Fox News are on this story. Uh, by on it, you mean ignoring it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so they're all over it. Headline on Fox News, right? Absolutely. Oh God. Yeah. Just to put this in perspective, if you take out the the wonkiness of 2020 and 2021, right? Because we were recovering from you know the millions of jobs lost um, from from COVID. So if you take out the the wonky recovery, for like you just go back to just normal jobs, normal job uh, recovery. This is the largest job gain in the since 1969, with the exception of September 1983. That's it. There's no other number that high anywhere's. And I went all the way back to 1969, January, just as a because they were talking about, oh, 1969. I was like, okay, fine, I'll put 1969. Nothing, nothing gets that high except well, for this month. That's how, except for September 1983 was the only one that beat this number. That's wow. how high it is. That's some bloody good news. But listen, look, guys, just quickly. <laughs> I love this. Right. Right. Where's the other one? <laughs> oh, it's a double emergency. <laughs> Last week you you started yelling emergency meeting, emergency meeting, and and that that was my favorite part of it. But you didn't do it. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Emergency meeting. Emergency meeting. Emergency meeting. So that is time, everybody, for the emergency meeting. All of you glorious banter members, come and join us in the emergency meeting where we are going to be discussing the very spicy. And rapidly heating up war between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. It's, it's getting pretty funny now. Uh, funny in a morbid sort of a way because it means probably the end of the world. Um, but come and join us in the Banter Members Only podcast, the emergency meeting. We're going to go there right now. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you want to meet us in the emergency meeting, get 60% off a Banter membership. You get access to everything we do. You keep us alive. You keep us afloat. Um, we survive only because of our glorious members. So thank you very much to everybody who um, is a subscriber. We really appreciate it. You can get access to all the members only articles, chat threads, the emergency meeting podcast, and our locked archive. So it's well worth the price of admission. Come and join us there. And for everybody else, we'll see you next week. Adios.